This is the Dear Ruby column, a new kind of personal finance podcast where your money questions are the star of the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode three of the Dear Ruby podcast. Today is a really special day because we have decided to dedicate today's show to Reddit questions. Reddit. What is that? Well, Reddit is a place, it's an online community where people go and they ask tons and tons of questions about so many different things. And it has a really great subsection, which is dedicated to personal finance called Personal Finance Canada. And I'm on there all the time reading people's questions. And it really does give you a window into how Canadians are dealing with their money, the kind of questions they have. And because it's anonymous and you're not allowed to solicit them and ask them to talk to you for your podcast, which I learned the hard way. That's another we'll story move altogether. That move on from that one. Um, <laughs> people are very candid about their problems. And uh, I, I think this is going to be a great show because we, we found three really unique stories that we can talk about when it comes to personal finance and how Dear Ruby can help solve some of these people's problems. Are, have you ever used Reddit, Bo? I'm aware of it. I have been in there. But mostly I just wanted to post my blog posts or, or podcast links. But I really I use Quora instead. I'm a Quora person. I answer questions on, on there. So... Quora and Reddit are similar, uh, but Reddit seems like it's more, I don't know, it's more real. Yeah, and some of the stuff can get really dark on yeah. there. You know, something will happen in the, you know, for example, like a tragedy will happen around the world, and some people might not feel as connected to it, you know, as, as others, and this is a place where they will come to and they will say, this doesn't matter to me, and then it'll become be part of the news cycle you know so yeah. there's a core group of people that don't care about this horrific event that happened in a part of the world where there's children that are unsafe because of political strife and so i think reddit i mean this is per- this one is going to be about personal finance but i think it's a really great place to see the underbelly of society. So real journalists like yourself, <laughs> as opposed to me, will actually go to Reddit to kind of get the sense of what's going on and what people are talking about. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if there's a big story mm. in the city, for example, when there was uh, that guy who ran down 10 people on yes. the, da- on the oh. not on the Danforth, on Young Street, and 10 people died. So terrible. Uh, so terrible. There, you know, a lot of people were blaming places like Reddit for allowing conversations to happen about the way certain people feel about um, how others treat them and how it's unfair and how this sort of gave rise to this kind of behavior that this person was later found to be connected to. I'm not sure whether I feel that Reddit is to blame, mm. uh, but it's definitely a website where people come and talk about a lot of things that we wouldn't talk about in polite conversation. We specifically are not going to talk about any tragedies or any underbelly (laughs) things of society, but definitely this kind of, you know, peels back some of the layers of personal finance problems that people have in Canada. And so the first question um, someone asked, pretty typical one about credit card debt, but I think still something that is worth talking about because credit card debt is one of the, the highest interest debts any of us can carry and we are still in record amounts of debt a lot of it yes is mortgage but a lot of that as well you know people are carrying something like twenty thousand dollars plus in consumer debt a lot of that being on the credit card so things you've bought 
that don't mean anything anymore. So vacations you've gone on, dinners you've had, things that you can no longer go and sell or return. That's all consumer debt. So this person writes that, you know, I make 20 bucks an hour. That's about $2,400 a month. And I put all my overtime into paying down my debt. And I currently owe $6,700 over two different credit cards. He doesn't want to tell everybody his sob story. He just wants to know how he can get out of this debt. He's made some big changes in his life. He's lost 80 pounds. He's sober now. He, he, he claims to have had a problem with alcohol. He's given that up. And so he really wants to now tackle the next problem in his life, which is all this debt. He breaks down his, his expenses a little bit. So he's got vehicle expenses. He doesn't have to pay anything where he's living. He doesn't want to go into why that is. For now, anyway. For now. Uh, maybe he's living at home and his parents are asking him to move out at some point. He's got entertainment costs. He does go to a gym. He's got a phone that is $130 a month. We can talk about that, Bo, because that's mm, pretty high. Yeah. He's paying $200 a month for food, which is extremely low. But if he's living at home where he's not paying any rent, I'm wondering yeah. why he's paying that much for food. And so he is basically saying that, you know, after everything is said and done, he doesn't have any money left over to pay this debt down. So what can he do? How can he find a way to tackle this debt? This is a pretty typical question, right? It you're, is. You're living paycheck to paycheck. You're carrying a large amount of debt, in this case, almost $7,000 worth of debt. And the credit card just seems to stay at the same level well, all the time. Well, it increases. Or, yeah, or it gets bigger. Yeah, exactly. every single month, there's like 50, 60 bucks tacked onto it. Mm-hmm. What would you tell this person to do with their, with, you know, their situation is they're not making a ton of money. Um, and it seems like every penny is going towards his living expenses. Well, the first thing to do is get all these numbers into a spreadsheet. That's <laughs> that's what I would do. <laughs> because then, you you know, people underestimate the value of having something like clearly presented to you and having like either an, if it's negative after all those expenses t- are out, then fine. Then then we, we can see that at a glance and work with it. But, uh, you know, if we add all this stuff up, there might be some money left over. It, but then if there isn't any money actually available in the bank, then we know that we're missing some expenses, right? Like that that this person does not realize they're they're spending. So they might be spending money that isn't in this list. So that's what a, a that's what putting things in an organized way will do. And that's this is the personal finance coach and me speaking out. He needs to get it all on paper that's for right. sure. He needs to be able to see it. And just looking at this first glance, he's got two expenses that I think are completely inappropriate okay. if you are in close to $7,000 worth of credit card debt. $40 for a gym, you do not need to spend any money. If health and wellness is your focus, you can still do a lot of things for free. There's so much available now on the internet that you can Google and you can do you know, home gym workouts. You can join Facebook groups that have fitness groups that you can join that are going to cost you nothing. And the $130 for his phone. I would say you don't even need to have a phone if you're dealing with this amount of debt. And if you do you should be on the world's most basic plan. Yeah, we we just uh, switch over to TELUS actually, but we were able to cut down our costs, and uh, you know uh, we might pay that for two people, not one. And and just think about like, do I need this many gigabytes? You know, people. I've, I've heard people they can't live without ten gigabytes of data, and I'm like, what, what are, are they you, doing? Yeah, you got Wi-Fi at home? Try that out. You know, when you use your cell phone, pretend you're always on holiday. Like yeah. if I go outside of the yeah. country, I am not using my data unless I'm in a Wi-Fi hotspot. So that's what this person should be doing. They should be cutting their phone usage down to as minimal as possible. And when they do need to use social media or they need to go online, 
find a Wi-Fi hotspot. I mean, in most major cities, you can pretty easily walk into any coffee shop or, uh, you know, a restaurant and get a free Wi-Fi hotspot. So this is not something that is unavailable. And $130 a month is a ridiculous amount of money to pay for a cell phone, even in Canada, where we have the highest cell phone rates. And I, I do have to mention this $50 a week to take the girlfriend out. You know, yeah, may- I missed that part. Maybe the girlfriend should like chip in or <laughs> or they could do something cheaper. I don't know. Like they, he says he only picks her up on weekends and they go for a meal and have snacks and watch. I, I'm not sure what he means uh, by get snacks and watch Netflix. So we'll move on from that one. <laughs> Netflix and chill. We all know what that means. <laughs> but like, yeah, at least, at least split that. You know, and then you end up with maybe you got an extra hundred bucks to put towards your credit card debt. You know, Bo, I'm okay with the $50 a week on Are entertainment okay. because okay. I feel like if you scrape it down right to the bare bones and oh, I tell that, somebody you're yeah. not even allowed to take your girlfriend out for a cheeseburger and your anymore, life sucks. Yeah, then I your get, life yeah. sucks. And it's just like when people do the ketosis diet or whatever, the keto, yeah, yeah. all of a sudden it's like or any diet actually um, where you can't eat all the things that you love, even in moderation. You're going to fall off the wagon. So this is probably the one thing that would tip him off yeah, the wagon. Yeah, this is a good... Okay, so this is a good thing. You're right. As long as you're spending within your budget, though, like, that's the thing. We got to find things... We might have to find things to cut out for this person. And it sucks, but temporarily, uh, you know, sometimes entertainment has to go. But you're right. Not at the expense of being miserable. And $50 a week doesn't seem excessive. It's not a lot, is it? Yeah, it's not excessive. No. His living arrangement seems really dicey but i would recommend to this person that as best as they can if they're not paying anything for housing especially if you're living at home with mom and dad maybe talk to them about something that you could do that it's it that doesn't require money yeah uh, maybe you could ask them what if i was to clean the house every week like i'm the housekeeper what if i was to make dinner three times a week so you're compensating in other ways that's going to make the person who you're living with their life easier um which then might encourage them to let you stay a little bit longer well housing is one of the biggest costs that we have right, right. so if housing is free right now for this person they should double down on paying down debt until housing is not free anymore because this is a kind of a golden opportunity whatever the circumstances may be it may be an unfortunate thing because it says long story but this is an opportunity to just redirect the money that you would normally have to pay for housing and the other thing if they have a good uh, credit score is that they could go and get a line of credit uh, which would then be a lot lower interest rate um, and pay this credit card down. That doesn't mean that you forget about the debt, but then you set yourself up on a plan uh, to pay it over maybe a year or 18 months and you'll get that money paid off much cheaper and much faster because the interest won't be incurring and it won't be, uh, the debt won't be, co- won't be costing you as much. And the other thing, Bo, I think he should do is I think he should find a job that pays him more than 20 bucks an hour. I think he needs to go out and be a little, you know, hustle a little bit, maybe upgrade his skills. Just make a little bit more money. Even if you could make $500 extra a month, uh, you can really tackle that debt quickly. Yeah, side hustle, uh, you know, if if you need to keep your regular job and maybe you have other skills, you could, yeah, pick up just a little bit of extra. Whatever skill you have, I mean, people will say, well, I have no skills. I mean, Mm. maybe you can just ask the place where you work if you can pick up some extra hours. Maybe there is another establishment that requires your skills that you could do a little extra hours there. You've got to get, I mean, when you're in debt, you've got to do everything you can to get out of it. And this is the time where you've got to hustle and make it happen. And once you've got that debt paid down, then you can think about, you know, maybe not having to work as much or maybe not having to, to pay down debt as much because you've got it all under control. And if you listen to episode one, you know that I drive Uber and you don't have to have any crazy special skills for that. But maybe, does he, wait, does he say as a vehicle? 
I need a car, he says. Okay, well, then, or he needs a new car because he yeah. pays for insurance. So Sounds like this guy needs a lot. Eh? He needs a cell phone. He needs to take his girlfriend every week, and he needs a car. Why? Why do you need all those things? Yeah, and if and then if you do have it, then use the car to make money. The, you have these tools in your in you know if you, if it fits into your life, of course. I'm going through right now a no spend January, mm. except for the second of January where my kids were screaming in the car because they were hungry. We had to stop at Subway. Okay. I haven't spent any money outside. Nice. I've been you know obviously we go grocery shopping, and if my kids needed a jacket, I would buy it for them and things like that. But even little things like we, you and I were both at the same social function a couple nights ago. Yeah. Normally, I would have went and got my nails done because my nails are not looking the way that I usually like them okay. to look. I didn't do it. Hmm. I didn't do it. And uh, I this, this is probably too much information, but <laughs> I usually would go get my eyebrows tweezed, sure. which costs, you know, it's not very expensive. It's $8 a pop. But I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to tweeze those five or six ones that are bothering me. And then I looked at myself. I'm like, they look pretty good. I just saved myself eight bucks. So right there just because I'm in this mode where I'm just not going to spend anything mm-hmm. on extras this month. And I think that's that's what this person So is. a little bit of a mind shift to start and then they can apply all these. Exactly. And being, you know, if you just start to see, if you just take that out of the equation, I'm just not going to spend, you start to get creative yeah. in the things that um, that already exist in your life and the things that you can get for free or you don't even have to get for free that are in your home. You just... Yeah. You, you might not realize. You might not even realize. Yeah. yeah. Like my tweezers. Yeah. They were just there. <laughs> okay. The second question is about renting from family. So this is interesting because I wasn't aware of a lot of this stuff. So this person, mother is moving in with a longtime boyfriend, considering renting out current house to uh, this person. So the mother is going to rent out to family. The person is wondering about tax benefits or uh, this thing called uh, it's uh, renting below fair market. She likes this idea of getting this place for maybe less than market value. Right. But if her mother rents it to her for less than market value, can she claim the income and the expenses and is it rental income is there other tax breaks or i think they're suggesting maybe they could do it under the table is it and it is a good idea to to rent a family you know when you could make money from somebody else and now what you're 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 collecting money but from within your family so i own a couple of rental properties and we have not ever except for one time rented to a friend and i've got to say it wasn't the best experience yeah. renting to that friend because I had to chase them a lot for money. Um, often it was late and that affects, you know, your ability to run your business. So this mother needs to figure out this second property that she owns or this property that she owns, if it's going to be considered um, not her primary residence, she is going to have to pay capital gains when she eventually sells it. Or if it's inherited by somebody, then it's going to be considered a, a second property, not a primary property. Although I don't think it matters in an inheritance situation. But mm. specifically speaking, if she is, if this is considered a not her primary residence, um, she has to b- figure out, does she want to run it like a business or does she want to resi- rent it like a guest house? Yeah. Right? And if she wants to run it like a guest house, that's fine. It's her property. She can do whatever she wants with it. Uh, but she also has to realize that if things need to get fixed, there's no money on the side for her to, you know, dip into to fix something. Um, she can't, of course, claim any of those expenses uh, because there is no income being generated from it. Um, there is a term in here that you notice, Bo, 
uh, that we had never heard about. About can you explain what he was talking about? Uh, this term that uh, it talks about when you rent below fair market value. Yeah. So uh, the the term is uh, cost sharing arrangement. So it's when one of your family members sort of contributes. You know, gives you some money in order to hedge the costs of the living arrangement. It's kind of like when a kid turns 18 and you say, you know, you got to start yeah. paying rent. Yeah, paying yeah. rent. Exactly. So in most of those cases, you can't actually claim that as rental income and therefore you can't claim your rental expenses to reduce your taxes. Because what, what a lot of people are doing these days, it's called negative gearing. It's a really interesting uh, concept in, is that you're buying a property or you have your own property. You're renting it out, but the actual cost of the property are more than the income that's coming in. Mm -hmm. So you're you're running basically like a neg a loss business, right? But then you can use that loss, depending on what country you live in, uh, against other income that you have to reduce your taxes in general. So th in this case, it would be worth it to put that on your taxes because you reduce your overall income tax. But if you do it, if you rent a family and you rent below fair market value, that's not actually something you can claim on your taxes. So whatever loss you were thinking of doing, because if you are renting below the fair, what you could get from a stranger, mm -hmm. you are probably going to have a loss because that, you know, if you're going to rent to a stranger, you want to cover your costs. And, and if you're renting to family, well, maybe you'll take a loss. Oh, if I can claim it on my taxes, but you actually can't in this case. The, the CRA has uh, weird rules about that. So don't just assume that I can rent this to family, charge them a hundred bucks, you know, my cost and depreciation for the year, you know, are a thousand bucks a month, and I can claim that nine hundred dollar uh, loss against my regular income tax so that I get a refund. That's not necessarily going to be the case. So be, be careful in that situation. But yeah, so that's the money part. But you're right. The relationship part thing is big, too. It's huge. I mean, what if your son or daughter, whoever is living in your home for half the rent that you could have got from that same property, which you can't claim as income, you can't write off any of the expenses. What if they have a party and they break a window? Yeah, it's going to be out of your pocket unless you have an arrangement with your son or daughter to say, um, if something goes wrong in this apartment that I'm renting to you, you've got to pay for it. And then what if they decide I don't have the money to pay for it? I mean, it's still your property. You're not going to leave a big gaping hole in your house with a window broken. You have to go and get it fixed. You know, to your point that if you collect X amount of income from a rental property, uh, but that year your expenses exceed the amount of income that you got, you can claim a loss. You can say that this property, I collected $20,000 in rental income, but it cost me $30,000 to run it because all these unexpected expenses came up and I had to redo the roof or I had to do all of that then is um, something that you could call it a write-off. Um, and that means more income tax back in your pocket. Uh, so those are things to consider if you are renting to family members, because um, it's really hard to a collect money, any money that you've decided that mm -hmm. you're going to collect from them. It's really hard to kick them out if you decide that, you know what, I want to start making some money off this property. And it's really hard to uh, manage when problems go, uh, when things happen, when there's problems to get them to fix things because you have no real um, system in place that deals with family situations when someone, you know, is um, is irresponsible with your property and, and with the things inside of it. Yeah. So the, I guess the main conclusion is ru running a property or having a rental property is a business. right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you and in yeah, many cases, you know it's that. worth 
millions of dollars. Yeah. I mean, if you own property in Toronto, you are sitting on a very expensive piece of property um, and you should treat it that way. If we compared it to other businesses, you know, like, should I let all of my family buy groceries from my market? Of course For not. free. Or at a deep discount whenever they want. Yeah. Like yeah. maybe, but maybe they'll take advantage too. And then maybe they won't think that like if half of your customers are your family and they don't pay anything, maybe it's not a business, is it? And the other thing, I mean, I'm not trying to lay any judgment on this mom, but it seems like she just moved into this house in 2017, met somebody, and now is moving into their house. So she also seems like someone who makes decisions very quickly. So what if this relationship doesn't work out and she wants to move back into the home that she originally was in before she moved out and rented it to her son or daughter? Um, then what happens? Yeah, maybe give it another year or so. Yeah, it seems like she's a little bit fickle <laughs> Let's in her give it decisions. Some, I want to sell yeah. the house right now. This is This is the one. So this question, I think, is good for you, Bo, because you are going to be having a baby soon. Mm. I have two kids. Now, it doesn't apply to us 100% because both of us are considered self-employed. We don't really get EI. Uh, yeah. But I have lots and lots of friends who have taken a year off, and it does affect your financial situation. People don't realize how it badly does. it does. Yeah. So the question here is... My wife's on mat leave and is, of course, then on a reduced income with a top up for six months. Then it will be reduced further because then it's just going to be EI for the final six months. He's asking now when he goes to renew his mortgage, are they going to qualify for less as a result of the fact in the last six months of her mat leave, she is not going to be making as much money. He just wants to confirm. I think this is really smart what he's doing. A lot of people would get into this situation, have a one person's income reduced by a large amount for a short period of time and then go to the bank and the bank's going to say, uh, no, your your salary does not show that you could you could afford this type of mortgage. Mm -hmm. uh, so I really want to give kudos to this Reddit user uh, for really thinking ahead when it comes to their mortgage approval process. So when they go to renew, they'll qualify for a lesser mortgage as a, as a result of the drop because that will happen. That's what you're saying. If they go to renew now. Of course. Yeah. So if yeah. you, it, I mean, it's just like anything. If you one year made, uh, you know, $100,000 yeah. and the next year made $50,000, the bank is going to see you as somebody that can afford a mortgage that can be carried by someone making $50,000. Um, so what he's basically saying is that his wife's income is going to be reduced. Now, I think couple of things he's misunderstanding here. If he just renews with the bank that he's with, they're not going to they're not going to um, do a credit check on him. Again. Yeah, they're just going to renew his mortgage. And that's it. Like you just go in and you, renew, you renegotiate. The only time he will get into a situation where his wife's reduced income would come into play is if he decided to move his mortgage to another bank, which a lot of people do at the end of five years to shop their mortgage around. Okay. It is a huge hassle to shop your mortgage. I often shop it around just to bully my bank into giving me the best amount. Uh, but by doing so, you are opening yourself up to a new um, uh, credit credit check. Talking about credit checks specifically, like my credit score is great right now, but my income is not. If someone just does a credit check on me, which Tangerine Bank just <laughs> did, right. by the way, and offered me a $30,000 line of credit. Okay, I have a score of 836. Ooh. Yeah, it's pretty, I don't know what my score is, but I think it's up it's there. It's pretty too. up there. Yeah. It fluctuates, you know, uh, here and there. But see, that's why... You know, it, this actually goes back to the last couple of questions, too, is sometimes when you need a line of credit, you're not going to get it. And when you don't need it, that's when you get the offers. And I'm going to say personally, you should take that offer 
if you can handle having available credit and not use it when yes. you don't need it. You have the discipline. That's You need the discipline. Now, I, I've been through a lot with my addiction, and so I have discipline now. So I was like, yeah, I'll take that $30,000. I do not need it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to use it. But mm-hmm. at Prime Plus One, that's a pretty great rate. Yeah. So if something were to happen where my existing uh, bucket of money uh, is not enough or I don't want to touch it because I know, say, it's temporary – and this might be a convenient tool for me. I'm not planning on it, but it doesn't hurt to have it there. So sometimes, yeah, you apply for things or you get things when it makes sense. And, you know, have some, have some foresight to, you know, like if, you know, my wife is a student, we're having a baby, I'm self-employed. It's not, not a good time to apply for a mortgage now. Not no, for us. Not terrible time. So I think this uh, this gentleman is really smart. He is thinking ahead. Uh, my best advice would be is to go and get your mortgage dealt with now uh, before one person's income is greatly reduced because then your mortgage, uh, the amount that you can you can borrow is going to be based on that reduced household income. Um, once you have the pre-approval in place, then anything can happen. It's fine. You've got all that, uh, all that in line um, and you can stay with your bank. You can move it to a new bank. Uh, but if you try and go get your uh, mortgage pre-approved at a point where one salary is much lower, they're not going to offer you as much money. Yeah. Good advice. Yeah. So that's one thing. That sh- and I think that the, the fact that he's, you know, forward thinking this way, um, you know, I, even as a self-employed person, uh, if there's a year where I've made really good money um, and I know that we want to go and get a mortgage, that's, I'm going to try to you know, get my mortgage approved in that year so I can show that my income is at that level rather than knowing that this year I'm not making as much. So next year's notice of assessment is not going to show as high of an income. And that's how you prove it to the lenders. You show your notice of assessment. So is that what they want to see? Self, self-employed people, it's a, it's a lot more complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, for From my experience, it's a notice of assessment. They want your T1 general. Um, in many cases, they want to show deposits into your bank account. So they want to see bank activity. They want to see okay. bank activity yeah. and they want to see invoices that match that. So you would have to show what invoice you okay. sent and yeah, then yeah. that the money then did come in. Sure. Um, they also want to see, you know, money not just in your your savings account, but they want to see how much you have in your RSP and your RESP. Because okay. all that is still cash that so you can access. So they consider all of that. And, and when you're self-employed uh, in your TFSA, uh, if you have rental properties, they want to know how much money you've been collecting from those rental properties um, over the last number of years so that it can show that you've had consistent renters and that, 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 that there, you have no problem in getting, getting income from those properties. Um, if you are a full-time employee, it, it's just like, it's just your last two pay stubs and your T4. It. It's very un, although they have changed the rules a little bit in October, they came up with uh, a new way of looking at self-employed people's income. Um, and, and one of the ways they did that is that you could show your net revenue rather than what you claim in your uh, in your return because often it's it's minus deduction, so it's minus your RSP, minus mm-hmm. your expenses. So you might have had a revenue of $150,000 that year, but then you had $75,000 in expenses and RSP contributions, so your notice of assessment shows that you made seventy five. That's right. So that really does make it look like you're not as big of a business as you are. So they're now saying that you can show your revenue, your total revenue, as a way to show that you could make those payments if they lent you the money. Well, that's good because, I mean, last two paychecks doesn't mean for an employee, for example, that you're going to get the next two paychecks. Without a doubt. As much as, you know, my invoices today and bank statements and all of this stuff shows that, you know, that I, I'm going to be continuing to do all of that. So they're really just looking at a frozen image in time, aren't they? 
And self-employment, in my opinion, I've been doing it for 10 years now, you can rely on it more than full-time employment. And I'll explain what I mean by that. I work for, I think, 10 different places. Yeah. So, and of course, contracts come to an end. Sometimes I get more work. And so all of that lends itself to the fact that I'm never without income. Even if, you know, I've had a major contract two years ago that just came to an abrupt end because the company was basically sold. And so it was a huge chunk of change that came out of my overall income, but I still had income. It was just part of it. It was just part of it. And that just meant I had to hustle and sort of make up more money. Uh, But if you're working full time, and even if you've got a great income, like making six figures, if tomorrow that, that place goes bankrupt or they decide they don't need you anymore or whatever reason, um, your income goes from six figures to zero, zero. Yeah. Um, until you find a new job. Or, I mean, you get an unemployment insurance, but that's about it. You don't really get anything. And so um, banks should see self-employed people as being a lot more safe to lend to. Yeah, that's a good point. Full-time workers. Because they actually control their income more than an employee does. Exactly. And self-employed people are hustlers. They go out there and they get more income when they need it. As soon as, you know, it's like running a business all of a sudden you realize this product isn't selling well, you replace it with a product that's selling well. I mean, that's what self-employed people do. That's what business people do. So apply for things when you have the income. Yes. Like when you have the good credit score, make sure you check that. Check your credit score regularly. Yeah. Or the report anyway. We should talk a little bit about how you can improve your credit score. Okay, I yeah. think that that's really important. Do you have any tips well, the, on how you can improve the, it? The $30,000 line of credit that I have that's open and not being used that's looked at a, as a positive. But if you have a balance in there, then like, oh, no, it's scary. It is good that if you are able to pay your uh, debts on time. But if you have a lot of available credit, mm-hmm. that's actually a negative on your credit score. This is going back many years. I wanted to get a student line of credit for when I was going away to university. And my dad, they wouldn't allow him to co-sign it. They said that he, too had, much. he had too much credit available yeah. to him already. Okay, yeah. Right? And so I don't know whether it actually affects your credit score, but it ex- affects your ability to get more Money. Yeah, and and do, we don't know though how much that is, right? Because I have a couple of credit cards. Well, some banks might look at the rest of your credit and say, if Bo was to draw all of these lines yeah. of credit, what would the payments be, and does his income reflect that reality? Yeah. And if they're saying, you know what, if he was to do that, he would just be scraping by. So I'm not going to offer him any more money because this extra money, if he was to draw this on top of everything else, would put him over the top. Well, that's a good point. So. Maybe you could have too much available credit, but it's still not as bad as having a balance of any kind. Of course, yeah. Over, what, 30%, 50%? What's the rate these days, you know? what What's uh, the red flag? Oh, well, that I don't know. I don't have that information, okay, yeah. but I do know there's a few ways you can improve your credit score, sure. which is you pay your debts on time yes. and in full. In that's full, number yeah. one. Yeah, that's number one. Um, you also, you use credit. like So like you were saying, like you have a little balance that you pay off. So there's yeah. not like you're just going around like, Paying cash for everything. No, I um, mean have, have no credit history. Have credit. Yeah. Yes, have and, and, and having a full time job before it's uh, of course uh, helps you get get a loan. Yeah. Uh, that all, but it doesn't necessarily help your credit score, but it helps you get a loan. Um, and uh, just ha- you know not having too much access to credit yeah. is going to help you as well too. I mean, if you've got a credit card that you're not using that has a as a you know a limit of fifteen thousand, close it. If you've got a line of credit you're not using, um, that's especially if it's unsecured for fifty thousand dollars, close it. Mm. Uh, because that's going to help you when you go for your mortgage get as much money as possible. Interesting. Okay. You know, TD Bank recently changed their rules where they see all of your available lines of credit 
uh, as liabilities as if they were fully drawn. So if really? you go for a loan, if you go and want to get a mortgage at TD and you've got a $300,000 line of credit, uh, they will see that $300,000 line of credit as if it was fully drawn and they will uh, base your mortgage pre-approval on that. Wow. So that okay. greatly reduces your ability to borrow. Well, in the future, when we're applying for mortgages again, I will do my research and see if you know having a line of credit is a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is what's happened. Like an to empty th- one. This is well. This is exactly what's happened to us. Those yeah. numbers exactly reflect my life. Hmm. And so we have two choices. We can close all those lines of credit. That would be an easy way solution for them to see us no longer as a liability. Sure. Uh, the other solution would be to get a much smaller mortgage and maybe borrow from that line of credit. If you have and a use rate. that money, yeah, and use that money. But then, yeah, we we'd, we'd be paying a higher rate. Wow. That's interesting stuff, right? Yeah. You think, okay, I'm not using this, but it's avail- it was offered to me. It was available. Yeah. Can't be a bad thing, right? Yeah. It's but secured against my home. The assumption mm. is, is that I would sell my home before I bought another one. So um, that's TD is doing that. And my understanding is that many banks are now. So it's good and bad. It, I don't like it because it affected me right away. Yeah. But I do like it because it keeps people in check. And I think it's just another layer of protection for people who are trying to get too much money or more money they can afford to pay. That's right. Well, we'll see how it impacts my credit score because it just showed up. Okay. And uh, we'll, you know, maybe we'll talk about how it impacts. Yeah, it in the yeah. Future. Watch that. Eight thirty-seven. You said eight thirty-six. Eight thirty-six. Yep. And uh, you know, whenever something gets added on, it it like we you know we switch over to tell us. Like, so that came up. I got alerts though. That's that's another thing. You get alerts, right? If you sign, if you're with the the free credit reporting things right right because there's a lot of free that's, ones is that now. the official name credit reporting thing that's right yep. i just i don't i don't want to name them like i'm naming this telecommunications company for some right, reason right um <laughs> they're in your brain i know Im- they implanted something oh, in your brain is that uh, that's what happened you have to listen to episode two to see our mistrust and brain implants <laughs> that's right that's yes. right so, yeah, there are multiple places to get your credit score and report for free now, which is totally brand new in the last five years or so. Yeah. And it's actually great because some of them have notifications. So I did get notified when I switched over to another phone company and when I switched over uh, when I got this line of credit that was offered to me. So I but that didn't like I didn't ask for that. Right. So it didn't have a ding on my score. It just got added onto my report as something that I have. Right. right. It wasn't like an inquiry. You know, inquiries can be like if you do too many inquiries. Yes, yes, yes. So because I didn't ask for it. Right. So that's another okay. benefit. Like, you know, take things that are offered to you as opposed to going out and applying to like five different things. Right. Yeah. That that is better for your credit report as well. So. Okay. Oh, that's very another, good advice. Yeah, I never would have thought I know. about that. Yeah. Yeah. Because if somebody yeah, don't shop for credit, that's going to yeah. definitely affect your score. If somebody comes to you and says, yeah. "Hey, your credit score is great. Would you like this?" Now, don't always take it. But if it's a great deal and you they don't, don't, they're not doing a credit. Uh, what's it called? They, uh, they don't do a check. Credit check on you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they they already did it. That's the thing. They already have access to your. Yeah. They do it on their own. Without you asking, they probably do a soft check. You can't, yeah. you, you can't be blamed if someone goes and looks up unsolicited your credit report. Like, how can that possibly be oh, your fault? Feel very vulnerable, which they can do, right? Mm. If you're if you're a client of the bank, say, if you're right, if they're there, if you're their customer, then they do have access to do that. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that was great. This was a great episode focusing on Reddit questions, real questions, and real questions, and you know, really does show us that across the country, people have very unique personal finance queries. Um, and we want to hear your queries. Uh, please uh, go to our website, dearruby.com, D-E-A-R, 
rubi.com. There's a really easy way where you can upload your question, uh, just record it on your smartphone and upload it to us. And we will feature it on the show. And we will, to the best of our ability, try to find an answer to your personal finance uh, issue or question or query on the show. And, you know, you're the star of the show. So we need to get more and more of your questions. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, guys. See you next time. Oh, 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 oh